Welcome to Comedy Girl Crush. I'm Kate Siegel. I'm Nikki Irvin, and our guest today is Kate Rappaport. Kate is an actress and comedian and writer and generally awesome person. Kate, we're so happy to have you on today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to have you on. Uh, there is a sketch of yours. I'm I'm excited to have both of you guys together. I know you guys know each other like super well. You guys have been working for a long time. And there's a sketch that both of you guys are in that is one of my favorite video sketches of all time. Oh, so I'm cool. excited to talk to you both about it. Oh, exciting. Pooping in public, obviously. Uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah. That's a classic. <laughs> oh, man. So good. <laughs> uh, so a little context here. Uh, uh, so right now we're do- kind of doing the next couple of episodes. Uh, we're bringing on members from Fembot PhD, the sketch team that... Me and Kate were on for years and years. Uh, and Fembot PhD is recently kind of coming to its natural end as things do. And so we're really excited. We're having on several of the past Fembots. We had Ali on our podcast last year. On uh, she was a part of Fembot. This Ali Lou, and she was part of Fembot in like the last year. Now we've got Kate, and we we're gonna have the rest of the the recent bots on in the next couple of weeks. But it's very cool. Fembot PhD is where I met Kate and got to work with Kate. And it's really great. I love working with you, Kate. I just want to tell you that. I genuinely do. I I think you have a very, like, like, not only are you like a great writer and very funny and dedicated performer and like you you come prepared but you're also a great motivator uh for people and uh you being on a team with you was really great because you like I know it it, it could be like hard sometimes but you kind of took on this like leadership role with us and really kept us motivated and on top of things for a long time you know even though we're all like very capable women you Mm -hmm. know it really helped Having having like you on board, you have a great mindset for putting things together. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, when I hear compliments, I immediately shut down. So <laughs> I didn't hear 90% of what you said. <laughs> but I, at least I have it in in like in a recording fashion now. So whenever and whenever I'm feeling sad, I'll just replay this to myself. <laughs> but there, there's a lot of even though I've worked with you for now like four four or five years, uh, four years. Uh, I there's a lot that I still don't know about you. So mm, uh, yeah. so I'm excited to learn more know, about it's, you and it's really your journey. Funny when you're on a sketch team together, you know these really strange things about people. Like, you know, you, I've shown you pictures of my poop. Right. We know, uh, you know, like we know what guys we've dated. We know like what we like, how we like our coffee, what we eat for breakfast. But a lot of times, uh, like, for example, Andra, when I found out that she had changed her name, that she grew up with a different last name and she has legally changed her name, I, like that blew my mind because I was like, I've known you for so long and I didn't know this like <gasps> piece of the puzzle for years you know so it's oh whoa yeah, yeah. Uh, now i want to know what her last name used to be 
Yeah, I can't remember. But I, I she she I guess Moldov is not her like first last name. She changed it to that. Yeah. We'll have to ask her when we interview her what's your what's your real name? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you do get such an intimate relationship with people on a sketch team, right? But there are just like weird things that like for whatever reason never come mm-hmm. up, right? Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cuz yeah, you're you're seeing each other every week. Our, our meetings would already like run long because you know we would just have so much fun and like joke around and so by the time like you start pitching ideas and reading through sketches it's like three hours have gone by and so it's like it's rare where you can like be like so nikki you grew up where again (laughs) (laughs) right right doesn't usually come up yeah though speaking of growing up i feel you uh you got a unique thing uh in that you grew up in poland correct Mm -hmm. yes yeah yes and you were there until you were like nine, so you like remember yes. it. Remember it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And what's funny about that too is that like, so my family moved from Poland to Chicago, and uh, for people who don't know this about Chicago, Chicago has the largest Polish population outside of like Warsaw, which is the capital of uh, Poland. It's kind of like in LA terms, it's kind of like the Armenian population in LA you know gotcha yeah so Polish people in Chicago are like deep dish pizza like everyone knows Polish people it's like you know and so it was not special being Polish in Chicago not at all no one gave a fuck (laughs) and so when the first time I realized being from Poland was like cool and different was when I went to school in Boston and I was like oh yeah I grew up in Poland people were like what Poland that's so cool I'm like, not where I grew up. Like, no one gave a crap. (laughs) 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 Like, yeah, I remember when I first moved to Chicago, like, my next door neighbors who were, like, Italian-American all knew the phrase, which meant come inside the house to sleep. Like, they were so, like, used to, like, Polish parents yelling this out through the neighborhood. Like, they even knew that phrase. I was like... That's amazing. <laughs> oh, wow. How fascinating. Daimi Bougie was the other one. Give me a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> was it like a big, so was it a big transition going from Poland to Chicago or because there was that big Polish community, was it, did you feel like that made it a little easier? It was, you know, it's like, it's this strange thing because I was nine years old. And so on the on the one hand, it was like literally landing on Mars. You know, it was... I grew up in a very, very small town, Mishkuf. And, um, like, everyone knew each other. There was this, like, like, my house was, like, the last house, like, in the town. So I was surrounded by forest. I had chickens and, like, some sheep and ducks and rabbits. And my parents would let me – I was, like, five years old. I could walk – to school by myself which was like a mile you know this like sounds like a right storybook <laughs> right yeah yeah no yeah, yeah growing up it was amazing like my, like it was like literally one of those like childhoods that don't exist anymore where my parents were like just go outside and play just come back and you know in two hours like when, like just be in like earshot of when we call your name but like I'd be out in the forest all day like and so then coming to Chicago it's like, you know, Chicago's huge. It's massive. No one knows anyone. And mm-hmm. you immediately kind of have this sense where, uh, you know, I feel like I developed my resting bitch face 
in Chicago. Because <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you immediately feel like you have to have a guard up. You know, it's like, you know, okay. like you don't want to get like mugged. You don't want to get like, you know, uh, hit on. You don't want to get like abducted. And like, uh, like my neighbors, they, they could only ride on their bikes just on the, down the block and back, down the block and back. And I was like looking at this and I was like, you guys are just hamsters on a wheel. You know, like I could take my bike and ride for an hour and no one would, you know, mind. And so it was a huge mind shift in that way. And obviously I never like even heard English before I came here. I literally knew like no, yeah, no English. And so it was like hard because I didn't understand anything, you know, for the first couple months. Um, I remember the first time I understood something, I was outside uh, playing in the front yard and of course, like being American, you know, it's America. And so it's like, it's weird seeing kids play by themselves. I was nine. My brother was five. And this lady was walking by and she was like, what are you guys doing out here? Like, where do you live? And I could point to my house and, and say, this is my home. And I ran to my house to my mom being so excited because I was like, someone just spoke to me in English and I understood it and I answered back. So it was like a huge oh. deal when I could finally understand something in English. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Were you, were you taking classes to learn or were you just like picking no. up or? No. Oh, wow. Threw me right into fourth grade. I, I even skipped a grade because I guess uh, the school system in America sucks. So, <laughs> so I went from second grade to fourth grade. And I do remember they they had this sort of like immersion program at the school where like half the classes were in Polish they would like take me out of like the normal class and I would be like in this classroom with like other Polish kids and a Polish teacher. And then half the class was with like all the normal, whatever American kids. And, um, but yeah, now like I, my first, th- that first teacher I had in fourth grade, she was so sweet and, and understanding because looking back on all the papers, she would give me like D's and F's because clearly I don't know what was going on, but she mm-hmm. knew I wasn't stupid. And so she passed me anyway, cause she was like, eh, she'll learn the language and catch up. So. <laughs> I mean, she was somebody did. who didn't know it at all. She's doing pretty good. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Man, that's what I can't even imagine. I was gonna say it's very um, uh, uh, good to know that the American school system is worse than you would find in like rural Poland. That's uh, oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's super good. It's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and they're like, oh, uh, you you've been studying at a on a pig farm all year. Yeah, I think we can skip you two grades. Here you go. <laughs> 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 so how did you figure out that you wanted to perform or or how did you figure out you were a creative person I mm. guess oh wow um on the one hand I feel like I knew right away and I think the way I think I kind of knew was I remember I have this like distinct memory of being in my bathroom and kind of like I don't know like performing for myself almost and like kind of feeling like the mirror was like an audience member or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that was the first time where I felt like, oh, I think I want to be an actor. Um, And that's, and I kind of just, I remember like writing in my parents' uh, car one day and it just kind of like blurted that out. Like at 12 years old, I was like, I want to be an actor. And they were like, 
okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right? Like, uh, and, um, but it was like something that like, I don't know, like was weighing on me, I think. And I didn't think like my parents would be very accepting of it or supportive. And so I kind of felt like I had to be like, it was like coming out of the closet almost. I it kind of felt like, you know, like this is, mm. this is who I am. And they were like, okay. I was like, oh, all right. And then, um, and I was, I just always felt like I knew how to do it. But like now I kind of like in the past year, um, I just had a baby. I had a baby last year and because of the pandemic, everything shutting down and like not being able to perform. And like, I kind of was like thinking about why, why originally did I really want to be an actor? And I came to Mm. this like therapy conclusion that I think, uh, growing up, especially being Polish and being an immigrant growing up Catholic, I don't, I didn't feel like I could really express my feelings and I was extremely emotional. Mm. I still, I still am to this day. I'm very emotional. I'm very uh, empathic and I feel other, other people's feelings really quickly. And I just never felt like in my house, I could just like say what I'm feeling. And so acting was this perfect thing to get all, like if I needed to cry or yell or be angry, I was like, I can do it through a monologue. This is great. <laughs> so it was like a way for you to express yourself, like 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 giving yourself permission through the like the words of other people and playing this other character gives you permission to experience those emotions because yeah. you're not being yourself doing it. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I think that that was uh, very hard for me. I think when I first moved to L.A., that was very hard because people kept saying like, you just have to be yourself. You just have to be yourself and like figure out who you are and then you'll book. And I realized this entire time, I didn't really want to be myself. You know, I wa- I liked mm. playing different characters and theater allows you to do that. You know, like you don't have to be yourself because uh, of the, you know, the magic of theater. You can like play an 80 year old woman or, you know, a boy or whatever it is. And then you, come out here and it's kind of like, well, you, we're, you're just going to be booked on how you look and who you really are. And I was like, right. Oh, well, that fucking sucks. Because <laughs> 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 number one, I don't know who I really am. And number two, I'm not comfortable going there yet. And let me put on a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Did you come out here for acting and then discover comedy through kind of like wanting to find another outlet where you did get to like put on a mustache or like kind of have that those magical moments again uh you know no because I, I'll, I'll tell you why I when I came out here I became very focused on just the business end of it and think to a detriment so I basically interned at a casting office and then an agency my first year here and it was kind of like seeing how the sausage is is being made and then like you can't eat meat for a while. Yeah. That's kind of how <laughs> it felt like. And so I was like, oh my God, I need to like figure out how to turn into a sausage <laughs> that someone wants to buy and eat. And so I got into comedy because number one, uh, you know, a lot of other actors around me and, and agents and acting teachers that I was around would say like, well, you know, like everyone wants to see improv on resumes now. Like you're not going to book a commercial or get into the casting room if you don't have an improv class on, on your resume. And so that was when I first was like, 
all right, I guess I should take some comedy classes. And then, uh, but the biggest push was I uh, had this like mentor, and I'm using air quotes because he was terrible at it, um, <laughs> through through this uh, company. What's it called? It's a society. I think like women, women in film. They had this like mentor program. And so I did that and they matched me with this casting director. And the, our first meeting, I remember like saying like, you know, like, can you give me some tips? You know, like I'm trying to figure out how to get in the door. Like I can't even like, I can't even get an agent or like, let alone an audition. It's really hard, blah, blah, blah. And he literally goes, well, you know, what's selling right now is uh, Kristen Stewart. So, you know, it, it would help if you looked like that, but you don't. So you should see, you should find out if you're funny or not. Cause it might be easier for you if you're funny. And I was like, oh, so I'm ugly. I, didn't know that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> number two, I was like, again, that just kind of like blew my mind because I was so naive. I think about the whole acting process and, and about the industry. And especially like I went to a theater conservatory. So it's just like, I had this like naive thought in my mind that it's like, well, if you're just like talented, you just go on like X amount of auditions and then somebody will book you. Like, doesn't matter what you look like. And so, like, I was like, oh, I am so wrong. I I really don't know what I'm doing out here. And so that was finally when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take a class at, at Groundlings. And that's how I got into that. Uh, so you started, so you took a class at, at Groundlings. And what, what was that like for you? Did yes. you, did you like it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. <laughs> you think it was Groundlings or that you didn't like, or was it? Yeah, what didn't you like about it? Uh, so this is what I realized. I also looking back on experience, um, I think I just don't like improv, mm-hmm. and I I love sketch, love it. I it's like, you know, I just feel so at home and comfortable doing sketch immediately. Just like. No, I just, yeah, it's just the best, the best way I can describe it is just like, I get it. And improv, I could just not get. I felt like a fish out of Mm -hmm. water. And I was like, I don't know how to grow fins and scales to be able to swim around these people. Yeah, I can relate to that for sure. And it's so weird. Like, people be like, oh, I'm going to be like, I was like, I was on improv teams. Like, I was doing improv, but it never felt comfortable the way sketch felt comfortable. Like, sketch, mm. like, I we're on the same page of that, of like, sketch just feels right. Like, it feel it like fulfills this certain, like, all of these different elements of all of these things that I like without uh, being, like, terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Especially live sketch, right? Because you guys are both theatrical actors um, by nature, right? And so I feel like live sketch really does fulfill a lot of the, those same, like, joys and, and wants that exactly that Yeah. Has, has Definitely. But I was going to ask how you got then from, like, okay, you figured out improv wasn't your thing, and then, like, when did you get to start doing sketch? Like, when did you figure that out? By leaving L.A. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm for real. <laughs> so what happened was um, when I did intermediate, the intermediate level uh, at Groundlings, my teacher, Lisa Shurga, who was so sweet, and she's so awesome and so funny. I really liked her. Um, she was on the fence about passing me, and she was like, you know, I could pass you 
Uh, but I feel like you still haven't really found your voice. And, and I agreed with her. I was like, I, I don't really know what you mean, but I think I do know what you mean. Where like, I still didn't quite, you know, really know what made me uh, like laugh and made me be funny. And around the same time, I think this was like 2013, my now husband got accepted to do grad school in the Bay Area. So he, whatever. So we were doing long distance. And finally, I just like, I just felt really unhappy. And he was like, why don't you just move up here for, for a little bit with me? Just take a break from LA, come up here. You can live with me <laughs> and my three other roommates, <laughs> which was crazy. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so I was like, you know what? Yeah, fuck it. I'm, I'm going to do it. So I moved to the Bay Area beginning of uh, like 2014. And I just started auditioning at whatever theater there was in the Bay Area. I literally went on 88 theater auditions my first year there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. And um, I got an agent up there. Uh, and uh, the guy, one of the agents up there, you know, it's a, it's a small town, you know, San Francisco. So he was kind of like, you know, I'm an agent here, but I also do sketch comedy. I do comedy with this group, Killing My Lobster. They're looking for more members. Like, you should audition for them. And I was like, yeah, cool, all right. And so, like, I auditioned for them. And then, like, I think I got a call back, did the call back. And then within a week was like, yeah, we're doing this show next month. Do you want to be in it? And I was like, that's it? Like, mm -hmm. I don't have to, like, pay dues. I don't have to, like, take classes from you. I don't have to, like, intern for free for a year. It was like, no, we're going to pay you, actually. I think it was, like, 100 or 150 bucks to be in the show and like you don't have to do anything like like I mean they literally had a stage manager they had a, like a legit theater they had um you know a director and like I mean it was like a, like a legit well-run company and all I had to do was just show up and you know just be an actor again and I was like this is really cool. But I remember that, yeah, doing the callback for it and like they would, they gave me sides from like some of their sketches. And again, it was just like one of those like kismet like experiences where I was just like, I know exactly how to play this. I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. I got a bunch of laughs and I got it. And I was like, cool. Whereas like literally all the other 87 auditions I went on, I think I maybe got like one callback and that's it. And I was just like, you know what, I need to maybe focus on the sketch comedy thing because it doesn't seem like anything, I'm getting like the right feedback, you know, in my life mm -hmm. from any of these other things, you know? Yeah. Oh, wow. That is really interesting. Like, I can't believe you 88 <laughs> auditions yeah. for theater. Right? And theater yeah, auditions are callbacks. not... Two callbacks. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, that is incredible. So you're on this team, you're like... You're doing, like, you're killing it. Did you have that moment of, like, aha, this is it? Or were you still trying to, like... Yeah. What, how were you feeling? No, it felt really good. Yeah. It felt really good. Like, what was also amazing about it was that the people there were so talented. Yeah. And that, I think, also blew my mind. And their attitude blew my mind. Because... And that's what I really needed. Because I think in L.A., I started getting so jaded. Because, like, the people who were taking these... Um, comedy classes were not really comedy right. people. You know, they were like supermodels. They were like, you know, just like, yeah, kind of like, oh, someone at a bar said I was cute and I should get like a commercial agent. So that's why I'm here. And you're like, 
you don't give a shit about this. You know, mm-hmm. you know, like you're not here to like <laughs> make an ass out of yourself. Like you just want to get like again, like a credit on your resume. And and you're never going to do this after this class. And so to go and like yeah, and so people on LA are just again so business minded and I get it because you have to be. But in San Francisco, like there is no other stepping stone stone. Like you don't get on the team to hopefully like get seen by like Lauren Michaels or like the head of casting yeah. at NBC. That's it. You're just getting on the team because you want to be on the team and have fun and like make people laugh. And so it was such a refreshing attitude uh, to be around people who are, who, you know, like there were teachers and like electricians and whatever you know like they were like they had like other like day jobs they weren't like trying to be like famous actors they were like no like you know it's like we live in san francisco like this is not going to pay the bills i know i have to like do this other job and so like just the amount of like love and freedom and play that they brought was just really eye-opening so refreshing and again just the talent was like i mean you guys should be down in la trying to Mm -hmm. make it not these fucking other assholes (laughs) (laughs) but it's different right because like it is a business down here right it is like it's that's why people Mm -hmm. like are here but when you get to go to other places like san francisco Mm -hmm. it's just like people are doing that because they love it and that's like there's no other reason right it's just because they love it and that does make a huge difference in the way people interact and like the way they behave and it it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people move mm-hmm. to LA because they love it, but mm-hmm. it gets warped into something mm-hmm. else also for those people to some degree. Yeah, especially when um, I think when you come here and you're trying to find your tribe, you know, that that group of people that, you know, because, yeah, artists, especially like comedy, I mean, unless you, I guess, maybe doing stand up where it's a little bit more like you're, you know, by yourself and a little bit more in a vacuum, but improv and sketch it's such a communal experience and you really have to like the best like improvs I've ever I've ever seen is like you could tell those people like just are friends and really know each mm-hmm. other and like really trust each other and that's also really hard to achieve when you're just taking a random class and you just met the person you know five minutes mm-hmm. ago and then like you're supposed to jump out of a parachute together and trust each other and like that's really hard to yeah. do, you know? And so if when you find, like, it, that's why, like, yeah, sketch teams are so important. And, like, when you find that group of people where you're like, oh, like, these people get me and I trust, I, I can trust them and they're laughing at the things I'm saying and, like, they're not weird and, like, oh, it's it's really amazing. It's like finding a family, you know? I, I'm fascinated because you came into this as, like, an actor and performer and then with Fembot... Like, you started writing, and you picked up on that really quick, like, how to write, like, sketches. People think that writing sketches is, oh, yeah, you just have this funny idea. It's like, no, there's, like, there are, there's, like, structure. There's fucking yeah. structure. There's, and there's some rules. There's some rules, and there are ways to make them better. And I feel like, I don't know, it was really cool being on the team with you and watching, watching your, like, your sketches just getting, like, better better it's like awesome oh that's awesome so did you Thank did you, you find you liked the writing yeah so uh there was one thing that was interesting was I did take like one sketch writing class um with Hal Rudnick at UCB when I first moved back 
And that was really cool because it was kind of, again, that kind of like aha moment where I was like, oh, I get this. Like literally from day one, I was like, I understand this. I understand the structure. I like understand like the whole heightening bit and blah, blah, blah. And like, so it, it was really cool. And I also felt kind of like, okay, I just need this one class. I, and like, I'm good. I don't think I really need to take more classes. Um, but what was, yeah, really helpful was being with Fembot. What's the word I'm trying to say? It, it just felt like we were all like on the same playing field and we were all mm-hmm. so supportive of each other. It wasn't like, you know, like you're writing a sketch to like try to impress this person or like to try to beat this other person or like, I'm going to like get my sketch in this show. Like it wasn't like that. It was such a communal experience. So it really was kind of like writing for the first time being like, oh, like what? Yeah. Like what, what do I think is funny? What should I write about? And a lot of my sketches actually came from us joking around. Like one of my favorite sketches that I ever wrote was that queefing queen sketch. Uh, oh, yeah. Nikki mentioned that she queefs. And I thought that was so funny. I was like, I, so I wrote this whole like, like ESPN mockumentary sketch where like she's competing in a queefing competition. And I just feel like that, like, you know, that's like my favorite thing about sketch and writing is that you can just take normal conversations or like a random thing that someone says or a joke that someone says and be like, aha, this would be a really funny four minute sketch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, uh, you know, with, with FemBot, you guys did so much, right? You guys pitched a show, you went on America's Got Talent. You guys like did so Mm -hmm. much as a team in the time that you guys were together. I'm curious, like what, like, what do you want to do next? And like, what haven't you done yet that you're excited to do? Like, what do, what do you feel like your future in comedy holds for you? Um, so one thing that Nikki and I are actually working on and Julia Bartlett is we are writing our first feature film comedy and that has been really exciting and mm-hmm. it's just been cool you know I think like my husband said this to me um when I first like you know we, when we start started talking about writing a feature film it was it just seemed really like daunting like oh my god like 110 pages and this like huge story and blah 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 but he was like you know think about all these all the like you know four or five page schedules that you've written, uh, you know, over the last five years, like you have enough pages that to like write like three movies. And I was like, Oh my God, you're brilliant. That's right. That's a good way of looking at it. (laughs) Yeah. And so that made it a little bit easier. And Julia made us like read, read this like screenwriting book. And so again, kind of the same way we're like understanding the structure of like a four minute sketch, understanding the structure of like, a two hour movie, again, it kind of like clicked for me. I was like, oh, I get this. I know how to do this now. So is that it, it, like for you, is it, you're like, okay, this is it. This is the focus for now, this movie. Or do you have like, what's your dream? <sighs> what's your like fantasy? Oh, me on an island. Your realistic fantasy. like rubbing my feet. I think, um, oh man, I guess, yeah, I guess the dream keeps changing a little bit, you know, I think for the longest Mm -hmm. time, like, I think like, uh, 
I well, okay. So like at first it started out being like I I want to be like a famous like serious actor. Like I like I wanted to be like the next Meryl Streep. I wanted to have like an Oscar for you know Sophie's Choice. And then, then it morphed into like, um, I just want to book commercials. I, this is easy. I just want to make a lot of money. And then it morphed into like, I want to be on a sitcom and like, want to be a comedian. And now that I have a daughter, like, I'm like, I just want to be at home. And so, <laughs> cause mm-hmm. I love her so much and I want to spend time with her and like, you know, when they're little, the, the time is just so precious and change all the time so quickly so now I'm thinking about it I'm like man I just I kind of want to be at home you know for the next couple years and so the writing thing is just like falling into place just at the right time and um I also recently uh (laughs) this is so dumb okay (laughs) so I made Nikki do this test I I was like reading this like article was like find your dharma in life like dharma is different than your profession it's your true calling and so I was like I'm gonna take this quiz and so (laughs) I think also like kind of like again thinking about like what set me on this journey in the first place I think there's a part of me that also just likes being like a visual artist as well and that's why I, I really gravitated towards directing my own uh, video sketches I like I love video sketches I think the most even than performing live like directing and being in a video sketch and seeing that from beginning to end is really satisfying for me so like a part of me is like man do I want to like direct one day do I also want to like I also bought an iPad recently like I want to like start illustrating like children's books I want to like start drawing comics Um, I also, um, want to like one day do like a, like another friends show, like do like a one woman, like friends show where I'm doing a bunch of like sketch comedy characters. So I feel like there's like a lot to, to discover and, you know, and still to do. Cause, and I think 10 years ago, if you would have asked me like what the dream was, I just wanted to be an actor and that's it. And I felt like a horse with like blinders on. And it it felt like if I wasn't just going to be an actor, it was giving up on myself and giving up on this identity that I have formed for myself. And, um, you know, doing research for the movie that we're writing, I was looking at Henry Rollins from Black Flag. And when I looked at his uh, Wikipedia profile, he has like 10 different titles. You know, it's like, Musician, spoken word poet, comedian, you know, DJ, VJ, announcer. And for the first time in my life, I was like, this is actually really cool. It's cool to like have 10 different job titles and what an amazing opportunity and what a full life you can have when you're not so focused on this one thing, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. that's, that's the dream right now is just kind of like, figure out and channel my creativity in other ways than just acting. That's awesome. Do you have any advice for people who are maybe just starting out or maybe in the same place that you've been in? Yeah, I think, uh, I think my biggest advice is to trust your gut. Do have a good balance of that like business and the love of it. You know, I, I don't think you can really just be you know like have your head head in the clouds and be like oh 
just do what you love all the time. It's not realistic. You have to have a good Mm-mm. business head on your shoulder and not be naive. But also, like, do follow your heart and realize when it's, you know, I think I think the hardest thing for people is to figure out, like, when are you supposed to feel uncomfortable? But when is that uncomfortable a sign of, like, either it's not safe or it's time to move on or it's giving you too much pain? Mm-hmm. I think those things are really hard to figure out. And that's something that, you know, everyone can only do for themselves on a very individual level. Um, because, you know, obviously you don't want to give up the first time something's uncomfortable, right? You know, first time you right. get on stage, you're going to have anxiety through the roof. And so, like, does that mean you're a crappy performer or a crappy comedian? No. You need to get better at it. You need to be more comfortable with that fear and that anxiety. But at the same time, you know, if it's, like, 10 years and, like, you've realized, like, man, I am tired of where I'm at in my life and I don't feel that love or joy or whatever it is anymore, then maybe you need to shake some things up, you know? That is great advice. Yeah, that's really good advice. That's something that I think about the more uh, I'm here. Like, the longer I'm here, the more I'm doing what I'm doing. I think about that a lot. And Yeah, yeah. And you have to think, too, it's like, you know, uh, because there's no guarantees, right, in this life, in this business, nothing, you know? And so it's like, if you think about, okay, if I'm going to keep doing this for the next 20, 30 years, and I wake up one day and I'm 50, and like, let's say, you know, I don't become a famous comedian or famous star. Like, do I, am I going to feel like I wasted those 30 years? If the answer is yes, well, then you might have to think about something else that you'd rather do. But if the answer is no, like, no, like I, there's nothing else I can imagine myself doing. Or like, there's, there, that's not a waste. I mean, that's a, that's a, a life lived of creative, you know, passion, you know, and then this life is for you. Keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have to be okay with that choice. And if there's any part of you, I think that's like going to be regretful of it, of like putting all this time and energy into it. If it doesn't work out the thing, the way you think it's going to work out, then you might be in trouble. I can't imagine doing anything yeah. else. That's for sure. No. I did that Dharma thing and I got the, I got the entertainer. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm fucked. I'm stuck with this. No, I'm literally just no, that. Nikki, I seriously, <laughs> I seriously mean this. Like you are one of those rare people where like literally there, you are a born entertainer and performer and there's literally nothing else uh, like you could do. That's it. If you like, no, if, no. You, tomorrow, if tomorrow you were like, I think I'm going to become a, like a veterinarian. I would like show up at your house and shake <laughs> slap you 10 times and be like no no <laughs> no <laughs> so you're saying i'm limited <laughs> no i'm just kidding <laughs> you're hopeless you're gonna die broken hopeless i'm hopeless i'm hopeless i'm fucked i'm fucked <laughs> no um it's cool. It's so, it's great. It's been awesome working with you. It's so cool that I get to continue working with you Same and here. I hope to forever. Uh, I also, I always like to thank you. Uh, cause you, uh, you give, you give me feedback in a way that is like, like both, uh, 
very like not pointed uh you give me feedback in a way that's very focused and direct without making me feel like shit and I really appreciate oh, that's that awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah yeah you have a very yeah I always like I know I've said that to you before but I just want to say it publicly that I appreciate Aww. uh you you uh helping people be better oh thank you I love you yeah, yeah. awesome I love you yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and I love you. And I love you, Kate. Other one? Other Kate? I, <laughs> I was just like, like enjoying I watching like Kate. this love fest. It's so nice to see people who work together who really love working together. It's just like a beautiful thing to witness. He, yeah. It's it's rare. It's hard to find like a, a good work wife husband person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's very competitive. And I think here it is even harder to find people who you like working with, who support you, who you feel like supported by because I feel like it's competitive and there's so much here that makes it so difficult to find your people but when you do it's just the best thing I think it's mm-hmm. awesome yeah but it it also can be hard when like you find your people and and like something goes mm. wrong and you're like oh this is so painful and that's a hard thing to navigate yeah. to um yeah I know yeah. That's, I know that's I know, something but... we didn't get into too much but it's like um, I was telling Julia this, that like now, like I really understand, like when you watch documentaries about bands and like why certain bands like break up, you're like, oh, like before, before being on a, like a sketch team, I'd be like, why did that band, like, why did the Beatles like break up? Like, come on, like Paul and John, like just get yeah. over it. Just, you know, work it out, and man. work it out. <laughs> and then like, and, and, uh, I was reading this article recently about Crosby, Stills and Nash and yeah um i guess crosby's a dick i don't know but (laughs) one of them said that like uh some something got broken and like in the yeah something got broken basically he was like no matter how hard i tried we could just never put it back together and it, it was just like such a beautiful way to describe it because it's, you know, like, yeah, sketch teams and these creative teams. I mean, they're like these like precious little like cups of China, you know, and like sometimes yeah. you can glue it back together and those cracks are going to be there. And then other times, like, you know, some pieces fall and like you can't find those pieces again and it just sucks, you know, because when it worked, yeah. it was so special and magical and yeah. Yeah. And then there's like those little pieces that just those... Yeah, you lose too many pieces along the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you can always look back at, like, the things that really worked and, and hopefully, like, hold on to those, like, magical moments and remember it. And it won't all be for, you know, a loss and, you know, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like being on, a, be, being on a sketch team and being, like, um, you know, a smaller sketch team and an intimate sketch team where, you know, we're, we're all very, like, focused and dedicated and you know and trying really really hard trying so so hard and you know putting a lot of pressure on ourselves on ourselves you know it the fact that like for the most part we all got along like very well Mm -hmm. and then it was just like you know just little things start to happen little things I guess not little things things that might start little but become bigger mm-hmm. as you know time progresses and like we even as a sketch team we went on a we went and did a, a group therapy yeah, once right. you know so we could be like yeah let's talk about like communication and like how can we all like communicate 
uh, and like you know that's how serious we were taking it. Um, yeah, that's oh, impressive. God. Yeah, that's really impressive, Brian. Yeah, we were. We were very devoted. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, what, what? it's a, you know, it's a, it's a relationship for sure. And it's like, people yeah. have different, you know, love languages and different ways of communicating. And yeah, unfortunately, sometimes like when like the communication styles don't quite overlap, you know, it's like, you might not even notice it in the beginning, but kind of like, right, you know, you get married yeah. and like, first three years, it's all good. And then like one day, like the person like, leaves the toilet seat up for like the hundredth time and you snap and you're like, why do you do this? And the other person's like, well, you never, you never <laughs> told me you don't like the toilet seat up. He's like, why do I have to tell you that I don't like it? And you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Like, I just read that no effects book and like they've been together since like what the fucking eighties. And, uh, and it's just like incredible to be like, wow, those are some very strong personality types and they are still together and they're still making music because they like, lo- like love it. And I feel like in a few years from now, like we're all going to get back together and be like, let's put on another oh, show because so. we, we miss it. Yeah, I think so. I have a feeling yeah. that like, yeah. I think so. Like 2035 is really going to be our year. <laughs> 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 For sure. Well, Kate, it's been super awesome having you on. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you so and, much for yeah. being here. This was thank really great. You. It was great to like get to know you and get to talk to you and learn more yeah. about your path in comedy because it's everyone's path is so different and yours is so unique and interesting. And I just appreciate you sharing with us. Thank you. Hell yeah. Uh, uh, any last words? <laughs> Why is that so funny to me? <laughs> Because I'm going to kill her. <laughs> Any last words? <laughs> Nikki once said that she was born a clown, and I don't think any truer words were ever spoken. <laughs> uh, you're a cl- you are a clown as well. You think so? I mean, and I mean that like, you know, this is like a compliment. Do you, do you really think I'm a clown? Oh, oh yes. Thank you. 100%. Yeah, I love your big characters. I love your ice cream man. <laughs> <laughs> and your uh, your David Lee Roth yeah. with his giant sausage. Yeah. Your your Uda Bobbin. Oh, Uda Bobbin. Charles Manson. Good, uh, good times. <laughs> Charles. Oh, Charles you're, Manson. You're Charles it's Manson. It's in your bio. Uh, I think that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Charles Manson's so good. Oh, that's one of that's my That's the favorites. funniest shit. Yeah. I'm to this day. I am like appalled and shocked that that sketch has like 200 views like that should have like a million views on youtube because for one people google charles manson all the time right (laughs) right come on like every two years there's like a podcast or like some documentary on charles manson so um yeah there if anything can happen from this podcast is please get this charles charles manson sketch trending it needs to live Yes. A day in the sun. It's so good. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it really cool. is. <laughs> Thank you again, Kate, so much for being here. It was great to have her on our podcast this week. You can catch Kate Rappaport on Trash Talking on YouTube this coming July. Very exciting stuff. And also, if you enjoyed what you heard, if you would like this podcast, you want to support us, you want to support our network, uh, we're just going to take a few minutes here and talk to you about our Patreon. 
Uh, yes, we are the Period Podcast Network. We are a network made by she's and they's for everyone. And it's really cool. We're all working together. And the concept behind our network is that everybody, every single podcast that's on the network, we all kind of get paid the same. We are all working together to build up uh, build up each podcast like high tides, raise all ships. Uh, but we need your support in order to do that. <laughs> Kate, tell us a little bit about some of the podcasts that you can see on the Period Podcast Network. Oh my gosh, just so many great podcasts, starting with Tinseltown Tea, which is a movie review and Hollywood gossip podcast. There's Comadres y Comics, which is a podcast that highlights the Latinx community in comic book culture. There's Yes, a Stripper, a podcast about strippers and sex workers and interviews with people in those industries and their allies. There's Girl Boner, which is a health and sexuality and empowerment podcast. Elaine's Cooking for the Soul, which is a post-apocalyptic cooking podcast hosted in a dentist's office. Yes, it's very exciting. And we have a Patreon. Uh, we'd love uh, to see your support if we could. Because, uh, you know, the best way to support is not only just to listen and to appreciate and share, but also, you know, share some of the dollar dollar if you got it. And our price is not high. For $5 a month, you can get um, ex- uh, you get an exclusive zine that is created by all of the uh, all of the participants on the network, uh, we're creating some really cool artwork, some articles, some poetry. It's really really neat. And then at ten dollars a month, you can uh, you'll get exclusive bonus content from each of the uh, each of the podcasts. Uh, it's very exciting. There's also a bigger option for like a group Zoom that's like twenty dollars, and we highly suggest that because we're all very fun people. So check it out if you support. Uh, marginalized voices in podcasting. If you feel like there should be more of them, which you should, guilt, 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 uh, check out all of the podcasts on the network. You can go to periodpodcastnetwork.com. You can also find a link to our Patreon there. Thank you so much uh, for joining us again. And if you can, please support the network and support as much as you can women in podcasting and women in in comedy and women in all things. The Comedy Girl Crush Podcast.